look at some of the uh, uh, teachings in Ephesians. Well, what we want to really try and bring out this morning or, or in our series is that we've been brought to life and brought together, which is what the church is about. The series will focus on it because it carries on this theme of love God, love the church, and love the lost. And I want to uh, just assure you, although we've changed it to this, evangelism is still very strong in our church. That's what love the lost means, going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus to people. But I just as we start off, I want us to watch a short PowerPoint or video now, I'm not sure what you get up to after church on Sunday. You know, you may go home and have your afternoon nap, or you may go and do... <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but often, the Filipino guys here at church, we often carry on church, if you like. After church on Sunday morning here, we often go off and do other things. So we're going to just uh, do something... Di- we did something different last Sunday. We had a Filipino boodle fight. Now, we're just going to watch the video and you will understand. So as you can see, there's a lot of joy, a lot of laughter, a lot of carry on. I'm sorry for the jumpiness. The lady, the, the young girl that was taking the video was also eating at the same time. <laughs> but a boodle fight is a meal that just, you, you don't have uh, spoons and forks or anything like that. You just use what God gave you, your hands. Uh, we call it kamayan. And uh, the food is placed on a long a banana leaf. Now that was a short banana leaf because there was only a few of us there. But normally it's a long banana leaf. Everyone gets together now. Just from looking here today, I can understand Kiwis don't like sitting close to one another. I can see that. In a boodle fight, 
Come here, Abby. I'll choose Abby because he's a Filipino. In a boodle fight, you are shoulder to shoulder going like that. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. <laughs> no personal space. So we squeeze in. But what it is, it was the... Um, it used to be the military in the Philippines used to do that quite a bit. And you get all the officers and enlisted personnel together and they would get along this long table and they'd say, ready on the left, ready on the right, commence boodle fight. And it was a long-standing tradition in the military uh, as uh, throughout the uh, 7,500 island country, the Philippines. And what it was about was building the camaraderie, the, the, the brotherhood, the equality of everyone. Equal. And we all ate together. And uh, I thought, as I was, I was putting this message together, I was thinking, how could I introduce Ephesians? And we had that. And I thought, yeah, that's what church is about. All together, united, coming together, and, and doing things together, enjoying one another's company, enjoying each other, and not worrying about the personal space. Just getting in there. And as you see, we have lots of nice food. So we're going to look at Ephesians. And I want you to keep that in mind. This is about the riches and about the grace and about being brought to life and brought together. through the. And that's what we're going to focus on in, in the series. Next time we have a boodle fight, we might invite you. But I just want to give you a little bit of a background to Ephesians so that you know when Paul was writing this, it wasn't easy for the Christians in Ephesus. Okay, so Paul's second missionary, uh, mission journey or tour, he visited Ephesus after going to Corinth. And we see the start there. Now, Ephesus means desirable. And it was a desirable place to live. Ephesus was this place where a lot of the world would have loved to be. It was thought to have been... Um, founded by the Amazons around about the uh, 2000 BC and was located in the West Asia Minor and it was a, a, a real metropolis. It was a, a business area. It was, a, it was considered a centre. So Paul goes there, he goes to the synagogue, he goes and starts talking to people and he starts seeing people come to know the Lord. So you see this church sprouting, uh, just opening up. That's his first journey. On the third preaching tour, we see the weeding. Paul spent between, you know, often we hear, we read the Bible, we don't realize, but Paul spent about two or three years uh, in Ephesus the next time he was there, Acts 19. And he spent his time weeding out false doctrines and, and pagan practices. You see, Ephesus derived its great for us, greatness from two sources the commercial trade and also uh, its religious or um, false pro practices, religion. During the Roman times, it was the centre for the mother goddess worship called Artemis or Diana. Now, if you've looked into Diana, you'll realise it's not really a great religion for people who want to be Christians. It's great for the world, but not so much for Christians. You see, when you think about Diana, that's a beautiful name, and one might think, well, this will be a beautiful goddess. But that's actually quite different from what it was. You see, Diana of the Ephesians was a short, squat, relative-looking character, repulsive-looking character, with many breasts, which, influ in, inf 
which emphasized the fertility. Yeah, doesn't look very nice. And they, that was, it was believed by superstition that Diana fell down from heaven, or Artemis fell down from heaven, and she was the goddess that, uh, of the fertility, of hunters, uh, and, the, and the wildlife. The magnificent temple of Diana took more than a century to construct. And it was about, built about 400 BC. And on the night that Alexander the Great was born, it, burnt, it was burnt to the ground. Now what they say is Diana was busy with Alexander the Great in his birth that she wasn't there at the temple to save it from the burning. Because here, uh, Alexander the Great actually helped rebuild it again, and it became the second wonder of the world, uh, seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. Worship in this temple, and just giving you background why, why Paul wrote what we, he wrote, worship in this temple was comprised of burning of incense, playing of flute music, uh, which people got into a real emotional frenzy, just got real up and, and then a lot of... Um, uh, Sexual practices went on inside this uh, temple. Um, and they used to have all these processions with all these silver idols that were made up of, of, uh, God, of the goddess Diana. And they'd do these processions. There were about 30 different idols that they would have. And they'd, they'd take it around the streets of Ephesus and end up in the temple having their um, worship time. So the church was built out of this. It came from this background. And Paul spent two or three years there trying to teach that you know, Christ is different, God is different, the God of the Bible is different. So it became a well-groomed garden. The church started to have elders there. Paul instituted elders in the church at Ephesus in the midst of all this. He went on to nurture the church. Paul stopped on the nearby island of Miletus and made his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. He told them that to guard the, guard the flock, look after the sheep, because there was all this stuff coming into the church. And Paul was telling the elders, be careful. Watch out for them. And it became a strong church at that time. It became a healthy church as the elders stood up for Christ. In, the, in this town or in this metropolis of, of Ephesus. Despite all that went on, I don't know if you remember the story um, when people came to know Christ in Ephesus, the silversmiths got upset. You know why they got upset? Because they start, stopped buying these idols. Now, I've seen that happen in the Philippines where, where you know, we have all these different idols and, and when people become Christians... They not only stop buying them, they smash them up. And so, you know, and uh, there are places up north where, uh, in Pampanga, where they, they make all these idols. And uh, often we believe that Mount Pinatubu, when, when it blew in 1991, covered that whole area in 20 feet of sand. Everything, all the idols, everything was gone. Houses, everything. And in Ephesus, there was a riot. Because people stopped buying idols. They had a change. People became Christians. They, they had a tra transforming experience with Jesus Christ. And they turned their lives around. And threw out the idols in their lives. And Paul 
went on nurturing this church. And then there's the watering. About a decade after the church had started, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, commending their faith and love. They had done well at the beginning. They had kept going. They had stood firm. They appeared well organized. And they appeared to have been real busy in doing what the Lord wanted them and reaching out and, and, and training people and teaching people and evangelizing people. He commended their sincerity. But Paul was in prison when he wrote it. Paul was in prison, but he was clearly wanted to drive home the, the point of his imprisonment as he start, states in Ephesians 3, for this reason, for you guys, there in Ephesus, I am a prisoner for the Lord. Paul may have been physically imprisoned, but his mind and spirit was free, clear. You see, teaching is to Christians what watering is to plants. And it's interesting that uh, Abe, Abe used that the cow, the brown grass and the green grass because if we don't get teaching we become brown grass dead grass just on the side we have the equip class running at 9 o'clock on, on uh, Sunday mornings so if you would like to go to that that's good teaching and then come in here afterwards we need to be watered in our Christian faith we need to become a church Created in Jesus Christ and in the glory of God. And then there's the producing church. Soon after the beginning of the Jewish war, tradition says that the city became the home of the apostle John. That may or may not be true. We have no real backup for that. But circumstances make it possible. If not probably, he was supposed to have taken Mary there, the mother of Jesus. But the church was a faithful, serving church it was a church that was going on for God in the face of all this difficulty it stood there as a beacon and if you know the book of Revelation you know what happened later on in that church but we're not going there today but it is a book that Paul wrote about encouraging one another encouraging this church. And how old series, Linda and I, when we met, we want you to be encouraged by what we see here today and in the following messages. And one of the encouragements that we see is the riches of grace. The riches of being a Christian. People often say, what's, what's the difference in being a Christian? Well, actually, there's quite a few. We probably don't really take much time to look at these riches because we're looking more at the physical world and saying, what am I getting now? But there are a lot of riches. It's interesting, I read this, art, this article. It says this, Did you know that Bill Gates makes so much money every minute that if he is walking down the sidewalk and sees a $100 bill lying there, it would be a waste of time for him to stop and pick it up? But think about this. If you're a Christian, if you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you are rich beyond your wildest imagination. Maybe not with the dollar bill, but in Christ. 
you are rich. And those are some of the things I want to bring to you today. The first thing he says is you're rich in is the spiritual blessings. All these riches, and this is interesting, all the riches are found in Christ alone. They're all found in Christ, all these spiritual blessings. Paul's letter, in Paul's letters, Christ is always the center. Everything is based around Jesus Christ. So what I get from that is that our lives are supposed to be based around Jesus Christ. In Christ, all the spiritual blessings are made possible. Without Christ, we have nothing of value. You may think you have a lot of value in this world, but I've seen people with value disappear, and with it, their value. But in Christ, we have value. Doesn't matter what's going on, and it doesn't know where you. You know, one of the great things for me is going into the when when we started in the Philippines, we we worked in the Piatas rubbish dump, and you walk along. And you'll be sharing Christ with people, and they were coming to the Lord. And even though they were in this terrible situation, they may have lost one or two kids, they were excited for Christ, and they couldn't wait to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. There was this excitement because they were in Christ. Without Christ, we have nothing of value. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it starts off by recognizing that we are sinners, that we have sin in our lives. That we are not right before God. It's recognizing that we are in need of a savior, need of someone who can pull us out of this situation. And at that point, we surrender ourselves. And that's where the struggle comes, isn't it? We can recognize sin in the world easy enough. We can recognize that there has to be something. That's why we have good works, that's why we have charitable works. We recognize that something has to be done. But surrendering to Jesus Christ, we don't want to do, or the world doesn't want to do it. But that's what we need to do, surrendering ourselves to Christ through repentance and accepting him as Savior and Lord into our lives. The message of the gospel is actually quite simple. It's just really hard to do because we put stumbling blocks. And and it comes down to one thing. We do not want to surrender to God. We'll make up all kinds of excuses. It's a myth. It's a fable. It's not true. Christians are hypocrites. I mean, I made, I made up all the excuses myself. But it really came down to that point. I didn't want to surrender. I don't want to surrender to God. But when we do, when we hand over our lives to Christ, when we, we accept that we are sinners, when we say, Lord, I need you in my life. Lord, I need you. We receive all the riches in Christ, chosen in Christ, chosen to be holy and blameless, to be, God has chosen you. Does that make you feel good? God has chosen you to be his servant, to be his child. I don't know how you got on at schools, but have you ever been in a school and, and, and you got teams and you get two captains? And then the captains start choosing, you know, if you're in the rugby team, oh, oh I'll take Clarkey and, and Brad takes Abby and uh, oh, I'll take Whitey because he's a good prop. And then someone's left and then, then someone's left at the end, the last person. And there's always that feeling of rejection. Oh, they took me. God has chosen you. 
God has chosen you to be a child of him. He's chosen you before the foundations of the world. He's chosen you to be his child. And God has decided whoever believes in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. He's chosen you. God has a game plan for this world. He's, he's, he wants us to love the lost. He wants us to spread his gospel. And he's chosen you and me to do it. He's included us. Isn't that amazing? Why would God do that? Because he loves us so. We are chosen. Now I know there's a lot of controversy around election and predestination. And I've got my own opinions, but I don't want to get onto that. I want to focus on the fact that whether you're this side or that side of that argument, you still have the riches because you're in Christ. Not only has he chosen you, he's adopted us as sons and daughters. He's adopted us into his family. Not just that you're chosen, you have become that child. And John, remember, tells us, for those who receive him, he gave the what? Right to become children of God. That children of God, does that excite you? Often we say, I'm a child of God. Yeah, yeah, so what? Man, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. If you have Christ in you, you're a child of God. How many of you would brag about being the child of, uh, say, I won't say Trump because I'm probably no one. <laughs> say George Bush. Or say you were heir to the fortune of Bill Gates. You'll be, yeah. Hey, we are the heirs of God. We are the children of God. Everything belongs to us. That should excite us. Sure, Bill can have everything he likes there. He can have his Hummer and whatever else he has. We have the riches of heaven, of God. You are better than... Any of that, you are a child of God. You are a child of the creator of the universe. So let's live like it. Let's not hang our heads in defeat. Let's say, I am God's son. I am God's daughter. Because he has adopted me. I am a child of God. He has redeemed me. He has redeemed me through his blood. Redeem means brought back. So Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus Christ has redeemed us by shedding his blood on the cross. He's paid for you. He's bought you. He's brought us back to life when we take him. And we have this amazing thing, forgiveness of sin. You know, it is amazing how many people want forgiveness of sin. It's amazing how many people would just like to get rid of that burden on their shoulders. And Christ is saying, I have paid for it. And we're saying, I don't want God. I'll do good works. I'll go to the charity. I'll do this and I'll do that. I don't want God. But God is the one that has sent his son and paid for our sin. And therefore we have forgiveness of sin and his riches of grace is lavished upon us. He 
He's poured out his love upon us. He's poured out his eternal life upon us. He's poured out his will upon us. He's poured out his purpose upon us. He's poured out this church. You are part of a, a, a wider church. But let's just focus here. You are part of Te Awamutu Bible Chapel today. You are family. Don't forget family camp. Did you notice that, how I got family camping? Pretty good, eh? You are part of the, ch- the family of God in Te Awamutu Bible Chapel. Why do we enjoy so much our, our times after church? Because it's family. Why do we enjoy the boodle fight? Well, apart from the food. Because we're all together just enjoying one another. Are you enjoying the church that you are in today? Are you enjoying fellowshipping? Are you, do you love the church? The riches of grace he's lavished upon us. And then he's poured out his inheritance to us. And as I looked at the inheritance, I'm not sure if I put all this up, I really got tied up here, and I've got to make sure I don't go too long, but as I thought about the inheritance that God has poured out, I started thinking, what is this inheritance? And everywhere I looked, it wasn't, what is the inheritance? It's what the inheritance is like. So I'll start there first. So in 1 Peter 1.23, that says, this inheritance that we have got is imperishable. Okay? The inheritance we have received and the riches of his grace is imperishable. In Hebrews 7.26, it says, it's unspoiled. In Revelation 21.5, it says, it's unfading. You know, you, you buy a car and in a couple of years' time, you've got to you know, do work on it. You buy a house, you've got to keep painting it or building it or whatever you're doing to it. But this inheritance we've received is unfading. And then in Hebrews 11.10, this is the one I really like, eh? This inheritance is reserved for you. Reserved. God has kept it for you. But what is the inheritance? So I started looking through some of the inheritance. First one I found was eternal life. Well, that's important. I say that Humdrum, but we hear it so often. But do you realize what eternal life really means? What does eternal life mean? Uh, live forever. Okay, that's good. Going on living forever. We don't have to fear death. That's what Christ gives us. We have this inheritance of eternal life. We have inheritance of heaven, spending forever with God and Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. We have a place with Christ. We have set a reserved place for Christ, with Christ. And there's these crowns. And someone asked me about the crowns. We won't talk about them today. I'll just read them off. But someone asked me about the crowns. And in 2 Timothy, there's the crown of righteousness for all those who have accepted Jesus Christ. You receive this inheritance of a crown of righteousness. There's the incorruptible crown. There's the crown of life for martyrs. There's the crown of rejoicing. And there's the crown of glory. Now, I'm not going to go into those just because that's a full study by itself. But there's these crowns. It's our inheritance. God just doesn't say, I want you and you become a Christian and that's it. He says, look, I've got this life for you. I've got this, you know, be, be joyful. When Paul was saying, writing, rejoice always, he wasn't just saying, oh, just rejoice. He was saying, look at all you've got. 
Rejoice in it. And then he said in verse, verse 13 and 14, he talks about a very important aspect. And it's, it's a controversial aspect, actually. But I'm going to talk about it because I just, this, this just makes it for me. You see, in the Bible, he says, in the, in one of the riches of grace is we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that guarantees our inheritance. When Christ comes into your life, the Holy Spirit enters your life, and you've guaranteed you've got this inheritance. What does it mean? A seal is an identifying mark. You know, often placed on a letter or a contract back in those days, or a document. And that would deter people from stealing them because they saw the seal. God has marked us with the Holy Spirit so that we won't be stolen, that we won't be taken by other things. It's interesting, I went into a little bit of a study here, and the Bible uses this term in different ways, a seal. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel, 8, 9, sorry, Ezekiel 9, 4 to 6, it talked about the seal saying, you are set apart. God set a sign on his chosen ones to mark them out, to set them apart as his possession and to keep them from destruction. Bring that into our seal, the Holy Spirit. He's put the Holy Spirit in us as a mark that he set us apart as his possession and keep us from destruction. In other words, we have this inheritance of the riches of grace that says, I will be with God. In Revelation 7.3, it talks about the seal being an identity. God places a seal on people to identify them and protect them from his wrath. So in, in that seal, when the Holy Spirit is in you, that's God saying, this is my child. It's an identity that we've got. And you read in Romans and it says that you cannot call the uh, Father Abba without the Holy Spirit. Our spirit. And in Romans it talks about our spirit and the Holy Spirit being one. Because it's our identity as a Christian. In, verse, in, in Matthew 27 66, when the guards put Jesus in the, in the tomb, what happened? They put a seal on him as security. What about Revelation 22.10? When John was told to seal up the words of the prophecy as security. The Holy Spirit seal is our security. That we are his. That you are his. But this last one I really, really like. John 6.27. We read of God authenticating the relationships with his seal. The seal of the Holy Spirit is the saying this relationship is authentic. This is real. This is my child. This is my son or my daughter. The Holy Spirit is the Christian seal that God pours out upon us when we come and surrender to him. God's Spirit comes and indwells in us and takes up residence in us. In the Old Testament, it used to pop from person to person, but now the Holy Spirit resides in us. 
The Holy Spirit identifies us as God's people and identifies us for his inheritance. And the experience of the Holy Spirit in our life is proof to others and a demonstration to others that this person has been changed, that you are new, that the riches of grace have been poured out upon you. The Holy Spirit provides the inward assurance that you and I belong to God as children. What an amazing, I mean, I've only touched verse 4. You go on and go on to verses 15 right to 23. There are so many riches there as a Christian. For a person who is in Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now as I finish. I'm going to ask them as we come up. We're going to go into a time of remembering the riches we have in Christ or how we got those riches, which is through the death of Jesus. But what I'd like us to do is consider the riches of God's grace in our own life today. Are you experiencing those riches? Are you experiencing the the assurance of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you experiencing that joy that you will spend eternity, eternity with God. Are you experiencing, it doesn't matter if you're going through that dry patch, doesn't matter if you're in the green patch, but there's that assurance and security that if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, you are his, no matter what you're going through at the moment. You know, you may think that Christianity is boring or that living a holy life is hard and You may be struggling. I mean, I haven't met a Christian yet who doesn't struggle. And if they say they don't struggle, I'd wonder if they were a Christian. Because we do go through struggles. But we've got to keep in our mind that there's all these riches that God's poured upon us when we have surrendered to Christ, when we have given over our lives to Him. But maybe, just maybe, you haven't surrendered to Christ. Just maybe you, 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 you're hearing all these things and say, well, that's not part of my life. I don't have that assurance. I don't see any change in my life. Maybe you haven't actually surrendered yet to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you haven't actually said, I am a sinner and in need of a saviour. Maybe you haven't yet said, Lord, stop I'll stop my excuses and I will surrender. We're going to start the next set of songs with one called Still. I hope it's still still, is it? Yeah. It says still and know. And Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that you are God. Maybe as we're singing this song and uh, we, we get up to sing it, maybe you just need to be still and not sing it. And just ask, where is God in my life? Why aren't I experiencing these riches? There are people in this church who would love to talk to you about that. Because I believe, and I am convinced, that Christ is the only way. And that in Him, we have everything we need.